September 19, 2021. First things first. Week 1. A Step of Faith. January may mark the beginning of the calendar year, but I think September for a lot of us marks the beginning of the, the emotional year. When September rolls around, we really, it really feels like this is when things are new. This is when things are really beginning. Yes, the calendar year may begin in January, and some of us are at our workplace, you might have a fiscal year that begins at a different time, but especially those of us who grew up in school or have been tied to the academic calendar for any length of time, September rolls around, and it really feels like now is really the beginning of the new year. If you're a child, you're getting new boxes of crayons that may or may not stay unbroken through the first day of school, and new boxes of pencils, maybe some new shoes, new backpack. You're learning where your locker is, where your desk is, trying to learn how to pronounce your teacher's name for the first time, and all those things that are new and fresh and exciting at the beginning of the year. I, I think September really is the new year for most of us emotionally. There's somebody in the West New York media who's taken to calling fall elite season. And he says, West New York is re- uh, fall in Western New York especially is really an elite season because in the morning it's cool and it's comfortable. By afternoon it's warm outside and by evening it's cool again so that we, none of us know how to dress in fall because we, if you have a sweater or a sweatshirt on in the morning, you're peeling that off by mid-afternoon and then putting it back on again. But it's comfortable sleeping weather, but yet it's nice to be outside, still mowing lawns. And it's just a, it truly is an elite time of year here in Western New York. For people who know me, I am in a lot of ways, a self-appointed spokesperson for fall. I love fall. I absolutely love this time of year. It is my favorite time of year. In fact, every year, at, once a week during this time of year, uh, New York State issues the fall foliage report for Western New York for the whole state. And you can see what the fall foliage report is right now across New York State. Currently, some, some change starting to happen in the Catskills and the Adirondacks. Not much change here yet in Western New York, but Brace yourselves. The next four to six weeks, we're going to see this kaleidoscope of colors emerge as all the reds and oranges and yellows. Within the next four to six weeks, we'll be at peak colors. And the thing I love about the fall is, you know, this first snowfall comes, there will be many more snowfalls that come. Spring comes, you know, the weather's warming up. It's going to be here for a while. Summer, it's consistent across. If you don't get to celebrate the 4th of July and the 4th of July, the 5th of the July is just as wonderful. But fall if it's almost like a blink and you miss it thing because if when the peak colors come, they're coming, they're coming and coming and then a big windstorm comes through and knocks them all down again. So you've got to be paying attention to it. I just love fall. Fall is in a lot of ways the emotional center for our season. As one person has said, uh, autumn is a second spring when every leaf is a flower. That's how I feel about fall. So f- autumn is a second spring. Autumn is elite season. It's really the emotional start for our year. And this morning, we're beginning a new four-part series of of messages here at Watermark called First Things First. And we're going to look at four times in Scripture when the people of God were called to do something new or were entering into a new season, a new chapter. But first things first, before they could enter into that season, God had a command for them or he had some teaching for them to receive or something that they needed to do first, almost like a prerequisite experience before they could enter into this new season. And so we're going to be looking at the four of these such times in the Bible, walking through these and seeing what we can learn from these ourselves as we enter into emotionally a new year and all the rhythms and expectations and hopes that we have for this new year. What are those things that before we can enter into those, God might have us do first? And I'm in particular excited about this series. I'll be teaching the next four weeks here at McKinley and looking forward to walking through the series together with you. And uh, my name is Steve Dunmire. If we haven't met before, I'll be out in the lobby afterwards. Love to shake your hand and, and get to know your name if we haven't met yet before today. But it's a good day to be in the house of the Lord. Amen. 
and uh, excited for, to open up the scriptures with you this morning. We're going to be looking this morning at one of the most significant new chapters in the scriptures with the life of Joshua. We'll be looking at Joshua chapter 1. I invite you to turn there this morning. We'll also have it up on the screen. But let me pray for us as we jump in today. God, thanks for this day. Thanks for your presence here already. For the songs of confidence and songs of freedom that we've been able to sing to you. And now as we open up your word, would you speak to us? Would we hear your voice through the word, through the prompting of your spirit? And may we walk out uh, emboldened to live for you. We pray this in the name of Christ our Lord. Amen. Joshua chapter 1, beginning of verse 1, says, After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' aid, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now then, you and all these people get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land I am about to give them to the Israelites. Right out of the gate, the tension is thick with the death of Moses. Moses is one of these, not even once in a generation, he is once in an all of creation kind of leader. There has never been a leader like him before, before Moses uh, for the Israelites, and there's never been a leader like him since then. He is one of these once in, a, once in a lifetime kind of leaders who comes along, and he led the nation of Israel for 40 years. He's the one who led them out of slavery in Egypt, and he casts a long shadow over the rest of scriptures in terms of a, an example and a model of what leadership can look like. And Joshua now has the responsibility of taking up the slack of picking up the mantle that Moses had left. And God says, right in these opening words, it's all on you now, kid. Good luck with this. Which is, it's just an incredible burden. You think there's nobody like Moses. There's nobody who could even compare to him. So typically in a situation like this, where you've got a really, really great leader and somebody has to follow them, maybe you'll lower the standards a little bit and say, let's give you a, a let's pitch a little bit slower for a little while. Let you, let's get you get a couple wins under your belt before we really start to pick up steam again. But no, God says, first thing I want you to do is to lead the people into the promised land. The one thing I would not let Moses do, this is on you, kid. We're going to lead the people into the promised land and no warm-up, no getting ready for this. We're going to jump right into it. The nation of Israel has just come out of a 30-day period of mourning. They've been mourning the death of Moses for 30 days together. And now as that time comes to a close, the Lord says, it's time. Here we go. And there's still heaviness. There's still grief. There's still this Moses-sized void right at the heart of this community and God wants Joshua to step up into it, which is especially hard for Joshua because Joshua had been kind of Moses' protege. He had been like a father figure for him. When we look through Exodus and Numbers and Deuteronomy, basically wherever you see Moses, you see Joshua right there. When Moses goes up on the mountain to meet with God, Joshua's right there. When Moses is in the tent of meeting, Joshua is right there. When they're in battle, Joshua's right in the battlefield. And everywhere you turn, Joshua is learning everything he can from Moses and is being Moses' right hand. And so much of his life has been shaped by who Moses is. In fact, even his name comes from Moses. Uh, Joshua's original name was Hosea, which just means salvation or saved. And Moses had changed his name from just general salvation to Joshua, which means the Lord's salvation or the Lord saves. And in fact, that same name, Joshua, is the same, a different form of the same name of Jesus. So Jesus' name means the Lord's salvation or the Lord saves. And so even his name comes from Moses. 
So Joshua is where he is because of Moses. His name is what it is because of Moses. All of his skills are because of Moses. All of his experiences and expertise is because of Moses. He's on the banks of the Jordan River because of Moses. He is where he is. He is who he is. And he's about to do what he's about to do all because of Moses. And the Lord says, here we go. Let's get on with this. But first things first, God has a word for him before they step out, before they cross the Jordan, before they take the promised land, God has one thing to say to Joshua, and it's this in verse six. Be strong and courageous because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their ancestors to give them. Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Don't turn from, the, from it to the right or to the left that you may be successful wherever you go. Keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you'll be prosperous and successful. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. Triple repetition there for Joshua. Be strong and courageous. Be strong and courageous. Be strong and courageous. In fact, Five times Joshua's told that from the end of the book of Deuteronomy into the book of Joshua. The first time he's told it is by Moses. As Moses is getting ready to die, he tells Joshua, be strong and courageous. And then the Lord tells him this once at the end of the book of Deuteronomy. And now three times in three verses, the Lord tells him, be strong and courageous. Be very strong and courageous. Haven't I told you already? Be strong and courageous. And he's, he's setting Joshua up to take courage in this season, to, to lead courageously and with strength and enter into this new season, this new chapter with great courage. And when you think about what it looks like and what it feels like to enter into a new season or to, to step out in faith in this way, you may find yourself in one of three categories. Because there are some people who worry a bit. You know, you generally may say, I don't necessarily worry a lot. I worry before I have to give a presentation or before I'm having a difficult conversation or I might worry if we're down in the fourth quarter. But, uh, you know, generally I'm pretty relaxed and I worry when it's natural to be worried. And that might be you. You might say, yeah, I, I generally am not, I'm pretty relaxed. I, I get upset when it's natural to be upset. I get anxious when it's natural to be upset or natural to be anxious. And so when these people, people who are just worry a bit, when they become Christians, then sometimes being strong and courageous means stepping out and doing something they wouldn't normally do or having conversations they wouldn't normally have or trusting God with, with our finances or, or having difficult conversations that otherwise we might have swept under the rug. And so it's just another step of faith, stepping out in a little bit of courage that you might sense in some days more than others. But then there are some people who hardly ever worry. And there's, you might know who these people are. You might know if you're one of these people. You, you're just naturally kind of adventurous. You're just naturally a risk taker. You're naturally spontaneous. Throw the plans out the window. Yeah, let's do it. Let's go for it. Uh, we're going to go to Zambia. Let's go to Zambia. We're going we're gonna to sell all we have and give it to the poor. Yeah, I'm in. I did it yesterday. Let's go. What are you waiting for? And when these people become Christians, then they hear the Lord tell Joshua, be strong and courageous. They're like, I was born for this. I can do this all day. They're the first in line to do the bungee jump. They're the first in line to do anything that's risk-taking. And I, sometimes I think these people, when they become pastors, they don't like to have budgets and they just want to plant a church without having a budget. And I think, think sometimes these people stress out the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, <laughs> the angels come around the Holy Spirit like, oh, Sam is planting the church again. Here we go. He's putting it all on me. But, but some, these people, they're just, hey, they're naturally risk, open to risk and to doing courageous things. But then there's a third group. There's some people who worry a lot. 
Daniel Goleman, who's done a lot of work around emotional intelligence, says that 15 to 20% of us are naturally timid. It's just kind of in our wiring, and you can even detect this from birth. Uh, these are the sorts of people who, on the first day of preschool, there are other kids who are like, see you, mom, and they're just running right into the school. And then there are those kids who are hanging on a mom's leg, and they're reluctant to go in. They're just a little more bashful. And through different stages of life, they get a little more anxious. They're a little more likely to lose sleep before a test or to be worried about the test and worried what the grade is on the test. And throughout various stages of life, they're just a little more reserved. It's just, it's not something they want. It's not an, an intentional decision. They just feel themselves being a little more anxious, a little more timid, a little more reluctant. As one person has said, some people worry occasionally, other people worry recreationally. And you might find that you're one of these people. And here's the point. God didn't ask Joshua to be the next Moses. He asked him to pick up this mantle. He asked him to pick up this work. He asked him to lead the people. But he didn't expect Joshua to be Moses. He expected Joshua to be a strong and courageous Joshua, not a strong and courageous Moses. And sometimes when we think about this, these people who worry hardly ever at all, they love spontaneity, and these people who worry a bit, and these people who are risk-adverse, sometimes we look at these people and we think, gee, why can't they be more like this? They just need to have more faith. If they would just trust in God more, then they could be as spontaneous as these people are. And we see the people over here are spontaneous, and we think, no, nah, that's how you do it. That's, how, that's what strength and courage in the, in the spiritual life looks like. But sometimes I wonder if God looks at people who are naturally spontaneous and naturally risk-takers and wonders, when are you going to step it up? When are you going to do something? That comes easy to you. That's nothing. You can, you can do that in your sleep. When are you going to step it up? Almost like when I get into a sports car and think, let's see what this thing can do. I wonder if God looks at some people in this, this lane and thinks, I know you can do more. I know you're capable of more. And likewise, I think sometimes we look at people over here who are naturally a little more timid, and we look at them from the outside and think, boy, they just don't have much faith, I guess. They just don't, haven't really gotten a handle on this yet. Maybe someday they'll grow in their faith and they can do a little bit more. But I think sometimes God looks at somebody over here and says, they see, he sees them do something that requires great faith or sees them give away money or sees them walk across the room and have a conversation with somebody. And he says, I haven't seen such great faith in all of Israel. That sometimes somebody over here who is naturally timid, who by their natural disposition is a little more reserved, sometimes a little, what looks like a little act of faith can be their widow's might. And God stands in awe of that. And so, some people have asked the question, you know, with, with Joshua having to be told five times, be strong and courageous, is he one of these naturally timid people? Well, I, I don't think so based on everything else we see from him in the Old Testament. I think it's just the fact that he's taking up after Moses. <laughs> this, I mean, it's Moses. And so, I think there's that weight of this responsibility, the weight of what it takes, the weight of what everybody's expect, expectations would be on him after following someone like Moses caused God to give him this little pep talk. But first, God doesn't just call him to have courage. He doesn't just say, now pull yourself up there, Joshua, it's time to go. He gives him an opportunity to grow and, and expand his capacity for courage. In Joshua chapter 3, beginning of verse 7, it says, The Lord said to Joshua, Today I will begin to exalt you in the eyes of all Israel, so they may know that I am with you as I was with Moses. So tell the priests who carry the Ark of the Covenant, when you reach the edge of the Jordan's waters, go and stand in the river. So he's saying, we're going to part the waters, but not until your feet get wet. Now, lest you think that this is just this little trickle, like a little creek flowing through this land, the Jordan River at certain times of the year is 
yeah, quite small and quite manageable, but at flood stage, and we know that they were crossing the Jordan River at flood stage, it would be about 200 feet wide and 20 feet dip, deep. A raging river. It's actually the, the river that has the lowest elevation of any river in the world. And so this is, a, this is an intimidating task to approach this 200-foot-wide river, 20 feet deep, and tell the priest, go stand in the river. Well, what if nothing happens? Then I look awfully foolish, don't I, Lord? You know, there's some bodies of water that are, are known for connecting people. The Erie Canal, for instance, made Buffalo the way that it is, reshaped New York State and reshaped the Northeast by connecting people. But there are other bodies of water that are dividing people. And the Jordan River is a body of water that divides people. And so now they're standing here on the brink. They're all lined up here after all these years of waiting, these 40 years of wandering in the wilderness, 40 years of anticipating sometime being over there on the other side of the river, being over there in the promised land. Now they're finally there and the Lord says, put your feet in the water, go stand in the river. And that's when I'll do the miracle. And poor, I mean, this is his first job, his first task as leader of Israel. And this is what we have to do. But I think in this moment, I can imagine Joshua saying, it's not in the text, but I can almost hear him saying, I've been here before. I remember this. Because see, 40 years earlier, when God had led the Israelites out of slavery in Egypt, they crossed the Red Sea on dry ground and, and God parted the waters and stood up like walls of water on each side of them and they crossed through on dry ground. And then Joshua would have been a young man at that point and he can remember these walls of water. He can remember the, what, the, what the water looked like from in there. He can remember the sound and the look, the sound of Moses' voice and the look on his face. He can hear the shouts and the joy and the songs that they sang when they got on the other side. He can remember what that felt like under his feet. I wonder if it was soft and squishy or I wonder if it was hard, but he's walking through and he can remember what that sounds like, what it felt like. He can hear the sound of the Egyptians pursuing them from behind. And then when they're safely on the other side, then watching the waters close in and, and take over the army of the Egyptians as they try to pursue them, he can remember all of it. It's burned into his memory. But the thing is, only two people are left who are adults at that time. Joshua and Caleb, all the other adults from that time are gone. All the other adults have passed away in the wilderness. Only Joshua and Caleb are left from that generation. And God is giving them this chance to remember again, to remember what he did, to remember how he rescued them, to remember this miracle and experience it again, and to expand their capacity for courage. Because the thing with courage is, sometimes I think we think that when, when we, a moment comes when we need to have courage, we can just kind of grab it, like open up a box and pull it out and there we've got this courage. But courage isn't something you develop just by having it. It's not something that's just there waiting for you to use it when you need it. As one person has said, Malcolm Gladwell, courage is what you earn when you've been through the tough times and discover they aren't so tough after all. He says, courage is something you earn. It's kind of like how the way that you can lift weights and build a muscle in your arm, you can build your courage muscle, your resilience, the resilience of your soul and the courage capacity that you have by doing courageous things. As another person has put it, we learn courage by couraging. We learn courage by doing things that require courage. And as we do things that require courage, as we do things that require a bit of nerve, that's when we begin to see like, hey, that wasn't so bad. It didn't kill me. It just made me stronger. And for non-believers, when they do things that require courage, it grows their capacity for courage. But for us as believers, when we step out in faith, when we take a step of faith, when we are strong and courageous, when we step out and follow God where he's leading us, and it doesn't kill us, we grow not only in our capacity for courage, but we realize that God has been with us, God has endured with us through the time, and nothing is quite as scary as it, as it was before again. 
An example of this is St. Francis of Assisi. St. Francis High School here in Hamburg is named after St. Francis. And he's a, a, a hero of the faith. When he was a young man, he had a vision of arms and banners and might. And he felt that God was calling him to have great courage through this vision. At the time, there was a war happening in the area, so he, he knew exactly what that meant. God was calling him to have courage. He was giving this, this vision of banners and armies and swords. And so he went out and joined the war. And one of his biographers said, it was pretty clear that Francis had a, had a thirst for glory that he was picturing coming back from this war with great war stories and as a hero of the war that people would sing songs about him and he'd be a great prince because of his valiant efforts in the war. But he had hardly gotten started when he got really sick and ended up spending most of the war in bed. And he had another vision from the Lord. The Lord came to him and said, that's not quite what I had in mind. Go home, Francis. And so Francis, kind of like with his tail between his legs, still recovering, is walking home, really dejected and confused about, he had this great vision of banners and swords and courage and this call to courage. And yet he went out and did the most courageous thing he could think of and that wasn't it. So he's making his way home, a long trip home. And all of a sudden up ahead, he can see on the path ahead of him, a man with leprosy. And he kind of recoiled, uh, there's the horror of what that would mean and at the time of Christ and at the time of Francis and, and even to this day, the, how scary something like leprosy is. And he immediately kind of recoiled. And then he, and that kind of clicked for him. And he ran towards the man of leprosy, wrapped his arms around him, hugged him, kissed him on the cheek, and then reached in his pockets and gave him all the money that he had, just blessed him and, and they spent all the time there interacting, blessed him, gave him all that he could and then they turned and began to walk in the opposite directions and as he took a few steps in the opposite direction, he turned one more time just to look and see the leper and there was no one there. And Francis is not known for having great war stories. He is not known as a great victor in war and of conquest. He did not become a, uh, a man whose biography is full of war stories and great conquest. But he is known, one of his greatest legacies is his ministry to people with leprosy and his works of compassion that required incredible courage. Because courage doesn't always look the way we expect it to. Courage can look like war, courage can look like fighting, but courage also involves a step of faith. Courage also looks like love. Courage looks like going into the seventh grade. Courage looks like raising preschoolers. Courage looks like sharing your fight, your, your, sharing Christ with a coworker. Courage looks like hugging a man with leprosy. Courage looks like when you don't know how you're going to make ends meet, and yet you still share out of your means with somebody else. Courage looks like caring for elderly parents. Courage looks like praying with a broken heart. Courage looks like standing up and, and, and sharing your faith with other people, living in the, in the abundance of what Christ has to offer you. Courage looks like sometimes holding your tongue when everybody else is chattering around you. Courage looks like being a contrast to the world around us and not just getting swept up in the madness and the stream of the noise all around us. Courage sometimes looks like fighting. Courage looks, sometimes looks like taking a stand, but courage often looks like love. And as they took a step of faith, as, as Joshua and the Israelites were taking this step of faith and stepping out and getting their feet wet before the miracle happened, here's what happens in verse 15 when it says, Now the Jordan is at flood stage all during harvest, yet as soon as the priests who carried the ark reached the Jordan and their feet touched the water's edge, the water from upstream stopped flowing. 
and it piled up in a heap a great distance away. And as we read the rest of that chapter, you hear that everybody crossed the Jordan on dry ground. But first, they had to take a bold step of faith. And then the miracle happened. Whatever this fall brings for you, there may be things that you're really, really excited about. There may be things that you don't quite know how they're going to turn out. Maybe this fall is not shaping up the way that you thought it would. Whatever it is, I want to share two things with you. First, be strong and courageous. Whatever God has for you this fall, whatever, whatever you're facing, whatever the challenges and exciting things are, be strong and courageous. And one of the ways we can expand our own capacity for courage is by remembering times when God showed up in the past. And you may have stories from your life where you say, I can remember what God did before, and I believe he can do it again. As we sang this morning, you split the sea so I could walk right through it. And I'm going to trust God that you're going to split the sea again for me, that you're going to split the sea again in this case for me, that I can walk through and step out in faith and confidence. So be strong and courageous. And second, go stand in your river. The Israelites, I'm so fascinated. I, I imagine Joshua having this, this conversation with himself or having this conversation with the Lord. You know, Lord, with Moses, they didn't have to get their feet wet first before you crossed the Red Sea. You just parted the water first. Why do we have to get our feet wet? But maybe it's taking that step of faith and stepping down into the water that maybe you've been right on the brink of it. You're kind of reluctant, you know, that, that, that dance we do on the brink of the water. And I, I, know what I, I know what I'm supposed to do. I know what you're calling me to do, but go stand in your river. Step into the stream of what God is doing. Step into what God is calling you to do with strength and courage. See if that doesn't expand your capacity for courage in the future. This morning, we're going to end our time with communion. And at communion, Jesus was celebrating the Passover and he took the bread and the cup. And one of the things we, we remember at communion is that his presence goes with us. He is with us. It's what part of the promise that God made to Joshua. Be strong and courageous for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. And so as we enter this new season, we want to invite you to, to partake with us. And we're going to take a moment and sing uh, in just a moment. And if you didn't get a chance to grab the elements on your way, and I want to invite you to do that now. We practice open communion here at Watermark, which means you don't have to be a Wesleyan. You don't have to be a member of Watermark. Uh, you just have to be pursuing Jesus. And I know at sometimes for some of you, that might mean that you've got about this much faith. You might just feel like you've got a mustard seed of faith. And that is plenty for the Lord to work with. He can work with that. If you're coming this morning with just a mustard seed of faith, asking God to, to do something new in your life, to, to steer the ship of your life, then you're welcome at this table. Autumn is the second spring, and it's the emotional start of our year for a lot of us. But you know, a fun thing about those autumn colors is those reds and yellows and oranges don't get created in fall. I think we got a picture here of some fall colors from some leaves in my backyard a couple years ago. Uh, those reds and oranges and yellows aren't created in the fall. They're actually there all summer long. What makes leaves green is the chlorophyll that gets flooded in these leaves. And when the, when the cool weather starts to cool off and the fall season comes and those cool mornings and cool evenings, the chlorophyll gets pulled back from the, from the leaves and the trees stop making all that chlorophyll. And the colors that have been there all along suddenly emerge. 
They've been there all year long, just waiting for the right season to appear. And maybe there's more courage in you than you know. Maybe there's more strength and courage and hope in God in you than you know, and it's just waiting for the right season to emerge. Or maybe you've got a greater capacity for courage than you ever dreamed possible. And this is the season where those colors of courage can really begin to show. So be strong and courageous. I'll say it again, be strong and courageous. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be terrified for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. Amen. You call us out, Lord, and we know you have a long reputation of being so good. You have a long and storied reputation of being more than enough. And so, Lord, I pray for my brothers and sisters here as we think about all those areas where we need to step out in faith, where we need to take a step of faith and pull up whatever courage we have. I pray that you'll be with us, that we'll sense your presence with us. You'll go before us and behind us. Pray all this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Let's prepare our hearts to come to the table together.
Lord Jesus on the night he was betrayed, a night that must have required incredible courage to enter that night knowing, to wake up that day knowing all of what was going to unfold and to have nobody, in the, nobody else in his circle, nobody else fully aware of what was going to happen. And that night he was at supper with his disciples and he was searching for a way to explain what was about to happen. Searching for a way to say, here's, here's what's happening. Here's what this means. Here's how this impacts you and all of creation. And there wasn't a parable. There wasn't a story. There wasn't a series of doctrinal statements. There were no bullet points he could pull out that could quite capture it. But there on the table was the bread and the juice, the bread and the wine from the Passover supper a time when they were recalling and remembering God's great deliverance, how with God's mighty hand, he reached down and pulled out his beloved people out of slavery in Egypt, how not the, the greatest power in the world there in Egypt could hold back God's hand, how God reached down, pulled them out against all odds, and because of his great love for them, had rescued them, and they were there at this supper to remember this, to remember God's great love and his mighty hand and his presence with them. And there he took the bread. And he took the cup and he said, you ain't seen nothing yet. When words fell short to describe what Jesus was doing at the cross, his deliverance, his love for us, his forgiveness for our sins, Jesus took the bread. He said, this is my body broken for you. Take and eat in remembrance of me. same way after supper he took the cup he said this cup represents the blood of the new covenant my blood poured out for the forgiveness forgiveness of sins drink all of it in remembrance of me God we thank you for the cup we thank you for the broken bread for your body and blood poured out for us that we could have victory, that we could have hope, that we could have victory over death, that we know that however long our days on this earth shall be, we will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. When we put our trust and our confidence in you, when we've taken shelter in the mighty name of Jesus. And as we remember your death, as we proclaim your death and your resurrection, we take shelter in your name, put our hope in Christ alone and we put our confidence again in the fact that you are with us you will, be, you will go before us and you will be with us in the deepest of waters thank you Lord thank you Lord thank you Lord it's in your name we pray amen let's stand and lift our voices again
if you feel led and you feel directed by the Holy Spirit to use the gifts that he has given you to serve for his glory, for his power, and in his name. Stop outside and talk to somebody out there. There's all different tables with so many ministries under one distinct sign. So if you feel led to help in healing, go to the heal ministry. If you feel led for children's, there's so many different avenues that you can help. So we just wanna thank you for joining and coming here and worshiping the Lord and serving him with your whole hearts. We'll see you next week.